0: Hey everyone, welcome to our first of either four or five part series of our preview of the top 25 teams in America for the upcoming college football season, which we're only a month away, which is why we're starting this in the Dan and Joe Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, uh, for our number 25 team, we have the Pitt Panthers. And this is a team that last year had just a fantastic season under Pat Narduzzi and of course, they had the best receiver in America, and Jordan Addison, and uh, you know one of the best uh, quarterbacks in America, and you know ultimately ended up being the first quarterback drafted for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, and you know, coming off that season, a lot of turnover. You thought they were going to have Jordan Addison back, but he's out to USC. And ironically, uh, USC starting quarterback last year, Keaton Slovis, heading to Pittsburgh. They might have even passed each other on flights, Joe. And mm-hmm. it's not going to happen. I'm sure one of the big draws that Keaton Slovis had in coming to Pitt was that he'd get to throw to the nation's best receiver in Jordan Addison. But sadly, all that NIL money in California drew Jordan Addison out there to go play with Caleb Williams. Um so, you know, one thing that makes Pat Narduzzi usually very good is his defensive prowess. They've been so good at Pittsburgh for a long time. Uh, last year, a little bit more about their offense than what we saw with their defense, but interested to see how they can recover and what I think will be a rebuilding year for them.
1: Yeah, you would think so. It's one of those things where only because they got Slovis and then coming off, you know, the ACC championship last year is really the only reason they have that relevancy but they definitely seem like a team that, although they're ranked 25 right now, I'd be kind of surprised if they're ranked at the end of the season.
0: That's, that's what I think, too, Joe. I think that ultimately you're going to see them not be one of the highest ranked teams, even in the ACC. And probably that's just recency bias as to why they even got ranked. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, Joe, one thing that we wanted to look at was a game early in the season that's going to tell us a lot about this team. Is this one we need to watch? Is this a real contender in the ACC on the national landscape? And, Joe, I think that their very first game of the season tells a decent amount because they're taking on West Virginia in a reiteration of the great rivalry, the backyard brawl that we used to see every year between Pittsburgh and West Virginia in schools that are separated by, I think, only about an hour and a half. And it used to be just a great football rivalry, We all know how intense West Virginia fans are. I think they got more up for this game than they did for any of the other ones. And I can tell this from even from going to Happy Valley last year, the Pittsburgh fans are pretty intense. They like their football a lot too. And I actually had people that I met that were Pittsburgh football fans telling me how much they wanted Auburn to win because how much they hated Penn State. So they go to even those depths where they'll have random schools that come in and they will tell you that they want them to beat Penn State. So when it comes to West Virginia, that's an even bigger deal because that was their rival for the longest time, old Big East rivals. And, Joe, I think that this is a a game that will tell us whether Pittsburgh is going to be anywhere near the level they were last year. This is a game they should win. West Virginia is still making a really slow uh, comeback with Neil Brown, who I like. I think he's a good coach. He's had good defense. But his offenses at West Virginia have been borderline pathetic. Hmm.
1: Yeah, and in the Big 12 Conference, you know, you've got to be able to throw the football and move the football up and down the field at a high level. Yeah, I think that you definitely got to favor um, Pittsburgh to win the game, um, a, de- a game they cannot afford to lose if they want to get started, you know, on the right track for the season. But just ultimately, uh, to your point, really excited that this game is being played and, and great to have this rivalry back for the backyard brawl.
0: That's right, Joe uh you know and it was it was a big deal I mean you know losing Kenny Pickett uh it's going to be a hard thing for the the Pitt Panthers to come back from and I'm sure Kenny Pickett's sitting there he was there for like six years with Pittsburgh and never got to play a backyard brawl and he's upset that you know of course I'm sure he's happy he's making all that money being a first round draft pick for the in uh, for the in-town Pittsburgh Steelers getting to go right there but I'm sure he would have loved to have gotten to play in what was one of college football's classic robberies.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think so.
0: But yes, Joe, I think that you're going to find out whether Pitt is even going to be a semblance of what they were last year, based on whether or not they can beat a West Virginia team that still has a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Joe, uh, moving on to our number 24 team, the Tennessee volunteers, uh, really surprising first season um for Tennessee last year and you know really I thought they were probably one of the most improved teams in the SEC and not somebody that a lot of people thought that Josh Heupel would do such a great job so quickly I think a lot of people thought that it was kind of a poor hire to begin with I mean he hadn't done near as much UCF as what you saw Scott Frost do he had some good offenses but it kind of seemed like uh, a lazy hire almost because uh Dana, or Dana White, who was, his, uh, who was his AD at UCF, got the job at Tennessee and then just hired his old coach at Josh Heupel. So it just seemed like it wasn't a, a hire that was going to really work and seemed, like I said, a little bit lazy. But ultimately, it turns out that Josh Heupel might have been a real diamond in the rough and Tennessee is looking really great for the first time in a while. And now they're sitting here with a preseason ranking. And I can't even remember the last time that Tennessee had a preseason ranking.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Really surprising there. And, you know, it's a team that I've heard a lot of people talk about Tennessee. And I feel like, you know, everybody is going to concentrate on, you know, where do they stand in the East next year? But I don't hear enough people, Dan, also talking about where their quarterback, Hooker, ranks with the other quarterbacks in the SEC. You know, we think of the Bryce Youngs, justifiably so, the KJ Jeffersons and some of these other quarterbacks. But my goodness, I mean, Hooker's touchdown to interception ratio last year, 31 to 3. I mean, 31 touchdown passes last year. Coming back for another season, he's just a, you know, just a physical specimen at 6'4, um, you know, with the weight and athleticism. And so really interested to see where this team goes.
0: That's right, Joe. And, you know, with Henning Hooker, too, something I think that was very underrated with him is how tough he is. You never saw him go out of a game. He could be injured. He could have ripped pants like he had against uh, Ole Miss. He was out there playing. And I don't remember Hendon Hooker ever having a really bad game. I never thought there was a game that Tennessee lost because Hooker didn't play great. And, you know, I think he's a guy that really puts it all out there for his team and was a great snag from Virginia Tech last year. And he's also just really brilliant. I mean, you watch him get interviewed. I believe he's written a children's book that uh, talks about the Bible. He's only like 21 years old and he's done this. And just a really impressive young man. And I think that Tennessee, you know, has a chance to maybe be the second or third best team in the SEC East this year. And you know what? Uh, We're going to find out a lot about them in the second week of the season when they take on the number 25-ranked team, and that's Pittsburgh. And they're going to Pittsburgh to play them. And that game last year, Joe, was a pretty – it was a barn burner. I think uh, Pittsburgh beat them something like 56-49 to in overtime. And so there's going to be a lot of motivation for Tennessee. And with everything that happened last year with them getting so close to beating Ole Miss – with them uh, hanging with Alabama for a long time, with them making these kind of strides they made, if they're going to be a team that wins nine or ten games, then they need to go out there and beat Pittsburgh in what's going to be a very raucous road environment.
1: Yeah, that's definitely going to be an important game. You know, that'll still be Pittsburgh probably coming in, you know, with like uh, maybe a 2-0 and record, I would think, a good chance for that. And so that'll be a, a ranked Pittsburgh team. I also look um, later on in the season. I think it's like two weeks later. They play. Um, well, they play Florida at home, and then they play at LSU. And the LSU game is the week before the Alabama game. And so, I'm interested to see how much they concentrate on that at LSU game because I feel like that's a game Tennessee definitely needs to win at LSU. Like I understand, you know, the difficulty going on the road there to Baton Rouge. But if you're a program, you know, that's being revitalized, if you've got a great quarterback and you're kind of re-emerging, you've got to win a game like that if you're going to have a chance at a nine- or ten-win season.
0: Absolutely, Joe. If you want to take the next step, which is going from an eight-and-five team to a team that wins nine to ten games, you have to beat LSU in what is a real rebuilding season for them, not a Nick Saban rebuilding season, an actual rebuilding season for LSU. under first-year head coach Brian Kelly with all the people that they lost and what was a terrible end to the Ed O, uh, you know, tenure. And, you know, this is going to be a game that they should be favored in. And even as hard as it is to win in Baton Rouge, if you're taking that next step, you have to win that game.
1: Yes, yes. If you're Tennessee, like, you're really thinking 10-2 and is a great chance. Like, you would expect objectively – They're going to lose to Georgia and Alabama. But every other game, I mean, they could easily
0: win. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, you feel like uh, Kentucky, that's one that's kind of a coin flip game that hopefully you would like to see them win if they're taking that next step. And and what's so interesting is Tennessee, you feel like they've been snake bit for the last 20 years. And even now with all this hype about them, the hype will hype that they have. uh, You have just a week ago, the NCAA puts 18 level one violations out against them from what happened back in the Jeremy Pruitt era. And uh, this is stuff that I'm sure five years ago we would be salivating over how the dirty details of it was $60,000 going to recruits. And what's funny to me, Joe, is is I feel like I'm seeing all this stuff, you know, uh, about how this could be serious, but the NCAA is rewarding Tennessee for the way they, you know, behaved in this. And I'm just thinking, like, is the NCAA really ever going to do anything to Tennessee? And is ultimately Tennessee just happy that they had, you know, an 18 level one violations thrown against them because now they have a good chance of not having to settle the Jeremy Pruitt lawsuit for the $13 million they didn't have to pay him.
1: Yeah, I mean, with the, the changing landscape of NIL or some people call it pay for play, I mean, that's just the right time, you know, for Tennessee to have to deal with something like this.
0: Right, and, you know, how fitting would it be with everything that Tennessee's gone through that maybe they're the last ones to ever actually get punished by the NCAA? that would be ironic. Yeah. All right, Joe, moving on to our number 23 ranked team. Hey, it's bedfellow with Tennessee, Kentucky, right over there in the sec East and Kentucky and Tennessee, definitely going to be a big uh, battle for who's going to finish second in the sec East, assuming that neither one of them could overtake Georgia, which I think is a pretty safe assumption, but Joe, this is definitely going to be interesting right here. You're seeing Kentucky at 23, Tennessee at 24. Both of these are programs that are wanting to take that next step and get to that 10 win range. And Kentucky, of course, returning Will Levis, who I thought had a really great first year as a transfer from Penn State to Kentucky. He really fits with that kind of, uh, you know, Mark Stoop style of a running quarterback who's tough, who doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And he, you know, fits in with that whole kind of run first mindset that you see at Kentucky. And, you know, definitely a team that, you know, ha- always has a lot of talent on the offensive and defensive uh, sides of the ball. And I've heard Joe, some people say they think that Kentucky is the third best team in the SEC after Alabama and Georgia.
1: Yeah, I've heard that too. And, and that surprised me a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like we talked about on the show last week that after Alabama and Georgia, there's so many teams where, You know, you can convince me that a lot of teams are the third or fourth best team in the SEC, but it's just one of those things where somebody's got to lose, and it's hard to really figure out who those candidates are going to be. But with Kentucky, though, um, did I read correctly that the running back they have, what's his last name, Smoke, is he back for another year?
0: Chris Rodriguez is coming back. He was one of the top three running backs in the SEC. Okay.
1: Wow. Didn't they have one that had last name was Smoke? Like, yes. A year he or two. Had one of the,
0: he had one of the greatest names I've ever heard in college football. That being Quavassier Smoke.
1: But is he is he exhausted his eligibility? Or I, he,
0: I don't think the Quavassier Smoke has any eligibility left. But I know Chris Rodriguez is, and that was kind of their main guy.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, Rodriguez coming back though, that'll be big for them. And then you know they're a team that kind of built in the trenches, you know, the offensive line, defensive line. And so they're definitely intriguing. And then the early litmus test for them will be uh, traveling to Oxford.
0: That's right, Joe. I mean, this was, I thought, one of the more underrated games last season, just a really fantastic football game that kind of had everything. The Ole Miss-Kentucky game last year in Lexington, Ole Miss ultimately won this game in overtime And you and I thought this was a great stepping stone game uh, last year for Lane Kiffin, because it was a game that you and I both thought was one that definitely would have been lost by Ole Miss in the Hugh Freeze era. And they beat a really scrappy Kentucky team. And Ole Miss ended up having a really great season last year, and Kentucky kind of had a man season. And this feels like a game right now that yet again can elevate one team. Is one team going to yet again be in that 10, dare I say, 11-game win uh, area? Or are they more like a 7- or 8-win team? And this game will decide that, I think, because the winner of this game has a great chance to be an upper echelon SEC team, and the loser is probably more of a middle-tier team.
1: Yeah, yeah, when you look at Ole Miss's schedule, like, they, if they can win this game, they could easily start out 6-0 and before the schedule really becomes a gauntlet. And if you're you're Kentucky, you know, you're kind of in a similar uh, level where if you win this game, you can really get off to a hot start. And then, you know, you'll see how you match up against uh, the Georgias and the Tennessees.
0: That's right, Joe. And you got to think that maybe at some point, if Kentucky keeps putting themselves in this situation, maybe one day they'll slip up and beat Georgia.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can't do it unless, you know, you're knocking on the door.
0: That's right. All right, Joe, speaking of knocking on the door, the Houston Cougars, our number 22 team. Uh, Last year, uh, you know, they lost their first game of the season to Texas Tech, but then went on a great run and, you know, had a Cincinnati team. Uh, They were hanging in there for a while in the AAC championship game. Of course, they ultimately lost. But then they finished the season really well by beating Auburn in the bowl game in the Birmingham Bowl. And, you know, now they're about to have their Big 12 uh, changeover. I think this is going to be their last season in, in the AAC. And, you know, I think Dana Holgerson's done a very good job with Houston. And I think you could say right now that he's in a much better situation at Houston than he was at West Virginia.
1: Yeah. You know, at the time it was such a puzzlement that he left um, West Virginia for that Houston job, but yeah, it's kind of, you know, credit to him. I guess he had, you know, some uh, vision that I did not see at the time. And uh, Houston is now, you know, a, a very intriguing team, you know, they've been able as a program to survive, you know, the loss of Derek King a couple of years ago and they have kind of, uh, you know, become revitalized.
0: That's right, Joe. I mean, and they had a returning quarterback in Clayton Toon who's very good. Uh, One of the more uh, had some of the best stats in America and Dana Holgerson's past happy offense. They actually had a really great defense last year. And I I think they're losing some of the players they had from that defense, but it was one of the saltier defenses that you had in America and this Houston team, uh, we're going to learn a lot about where they are in their own state even the first week of the season as they take on UTSA in San Antonio against the Roadrunners. And, Joe, this is a game that fascinates me because UTSA last year, they were undefeated for a lot of the season, got in the top 20. Uh, their coach, uh, Trailer was a guy who I ended up staying with UTSA, which I couldn't believe because he was getting offers from everybody. And they've been one of the, you know, the better group of five programs that we've seen coming along. And if Houston wants to take this next step, say, hey, we're about to be in the Big 12, we're about to be power five, we're in one of the biggest cities in America, and we're putting our stake in that we can compete with Texas AM, we compete with Texas in the state of Texas for all these big time recruits. You got to go out there and you got to beat the upstart mid-major.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a game that they cannot afford to lose. And it's a dangerous game because of how good UTSA was last year. And then also the fact that it will be a home game for UTSA, their fans are going to be out in full force.
0: Yeah, Joe. I mean, assuming that Houston retains this number 22 ranking going into that game, this is maybe going to be the biggest home game the UTSA has ever had. It's a very new football program. I think they've only been around for about five years And they've really just shown the power that Texas has in football to just grow things so fast that UTSA is now the best team in the Sun Belt pretty much the last couple years. And so I think this is a huge opportunity for them. And Houston's probably going to have to play their best game to win because this is like the Super Bowl for UTSA.
1: Yeah, like to our frustration, I think the Marcus Davenport first-round pick was like the best commercial for their football program.
0: Yes, uh, until last season that was the best commercial for the football program uh, and you and I are still puzzling our heads over that one um, but yeah this, this is gonna be interesting and I think if if Houston wins that game then we'll see maybe they can challenge Cincinnati to win the AAC and who knows we saw Cincinnati get in the college football playoff last year so maybe there's an outside chance for Houston with that but they got to get take care of business and beat the new upstart mid-major in their state before any of those conversations can even be a thought. Right. That's right. All right, Joe, moving on to our number 21 team. This is a team who probably a lot of you think are as a mid-major team, but no, they are actually are in the Power Five currently, and they don't just play basketball, and that's Wake Forest. Uh, Wake Forest last year was undefeated for a very long time without Kenneth Walker, who had transferred to Michigan State and made them really good. And, uh, you know, most of it was on the arm of Sam Hartman, who's a fantastic quarterback, and their amazing offense. Uh, The Demon Deacons had the 11th ranked offense last year. And I remember one of the best games I watched all season. And, in fact, one of my worst bets was the uh, Army-Wake Forest game where, A, I thought Army would win the game. I think I took them on the money line and B, since it was an Army game, I took the under because Army always hits on the under because of the style of play they had. Unfortunately, I did not take into account, A, how great uh, Wake Forest's offense was, and B, how pathetic their defense was. And this all led into me really losing that over-under bet and Wake Forest actually getting a great win against Army. Uh, With that being said, Joe, this is a team that lives and dies by the offense. Uh, You know, they... um, they were. They ended up winning the ACC Coastal Division last year and, in fact, edged out Clemson for that title and played in the ACC Championship game. And so we're going to see how they can follow up that season. I think they've got one of the best coaches in America, um, and, you know, we'll see. But what it all starts with for me, Joe, is on September 10th, they make that dreaded road trip to the most difficult uh, road environment you have in the SEC, And, of course, I'm talking about Vanderbilt. they got to go to Nashville and hang out on Broadway and uh, see if they can have more fans in the stands than Vanderbilt, which about 90% of their road appointments do. So, Joe, if you want to build upon a season you had last year where you went to the ACC Championship game and you want me to pay attention to you and not just remember Tim Duncan and Chris Paul and basketball and forget you have a football program, you have to go on the road and beat the worst team in the SEC.
1: Yeah, definitely got to take care of business there. And I think that I'm interested in Wake Forest because I want to see if they make strides on defense. And I also want to see their offense as far as like finishing drives at times this next season, because they have that type of offense that was often, you know, an issue for the Hugh Freeze era, where in spurts they can just move up and down the field. And they'll a lot of times be in situations where, They'll be in first and goal or they'll be in the red zone. And then you might see them have to settle for a field goal. And so I want to see if they can actually get touchdowns in some of these key situations. And I think that Vanderbilt will, oddly enough, pose somewhat of a defensive test for them where I could see Wake getting into the red zone and then the offense kind of sputtering out a little bit. So I want to see if they can convert some of those drives to touchdowns.
0: Absolutely, Joe. I mean, one thing that Vanderbilt has been good at for a long time in which they continue with this coaching hire is defense. Clark Lee, their head coach, of course, was a fantastic defensive coordinator at Notre Dame before he took the job at Vanderbilt. And you saw it last season. I mean, Vanderbilt had South Carolina on the ropes in a very defensive-minded game. Uh, Their defense wasn't bad. I mean, I think they were like kind of a middle-of-the-road defense. And Vanderbilt's never a team that's very easy to score on. So this is definitely going to be a different uh, challenge for Wake Forest. And this is going to be a huge game for Clark Lee. He did not have a very good first season. Now it's Vanderbilt. So what is a good first season at Vanderbilt? Who really knows? But this would be a good chance for him to get a solid non-conference win. And I think he's going to be up for it. And his players are. The question is whether there's actually going to be any actual Vanderbilt fans in the stands or if uh, the Wake Forest people travel enough and just want to take a trip to Nashville.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I told you earlier that I want to say that these two teams used to play regularly. You know, we talk about, you know, restoring the backyard brawl. I mean, I don't know if this was any kind of rivalry, but they definitely played um, the last week of every season for a while. And so you see, you know, these two schools uh, restoring that uh, game this year.
0: So, Joe, can we call this rivalry the textbook brawl because they're both (laughs) lovely universities?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I was trying to Google something about Wake Forest football a few minutes ago before the show. And as soon as I typed in Wake Forest, like a lot of schools, you'll type in, say, like UNC and all of a sudden UNC basketball pops up immediately. But for uh, Wake Forest, like the first thing that popped up was not Wake Forest football, not Wake Forest basketball, but Wake Forest acceptance rate.
0: (laughs) That sounds Uh, about right. Joe, I I remember Wake Forest has one of the worst things in my mind because the one time I almost won this college football bowl pool that I do every year, I think the winnings in there are like $2,000. The game that decided whether I win or not, I was in high school, it was Wake Forest and the one season they were good until last year, taking on Louisville in a BCS bowl game. And I was all high on Wake Forest that year, and I didn't think Bobby Petrino and Louisville would beat them. And if Wake Forest had won that game, I would have won $2,000. But instead Louisville won, and I won nothing.
1: Yes. You know, I remember that that year. I think that was the year Wake Forest beat Calvin Johnson and Georgia Tech in the ACC title game. Kind of surprised me. And, yeah, I mean, until last year, um, I remember you said it last year when we talked about Wake Forest. We had never talked about Wake Forest ever on the Dan and Joe Sports Show. I think it was the one Power Five school we had never said there – name before and I remember you telling the story about uh, back from uh, from high school
0: yeah I mean it just that's the only thing that I can remember about Wake Forest because even basketball has been such a distant memory since they've been good um, so yeah I mean it's a good opportunity for them and they need to go and show their football supremacy over another smart school in the south at Vanderbilt if we're gonna take them seriously and think about them maybe getting in the top 10 again like they did last year
1: right right.
0: All right, Joe, Uh, and interesting, at number 20, I feel like there's a little bit of symbiosis here when we're seeing these these 24 and 23 teams, and now we're seeing it again in 21 and 20. You know, Wake Forest last year, they had an amazing offense, but the one thing they were missing was their star running back, Kenneth Walker, and where did Kenneth Walker go? He went to Michigan State, and Michigan State was, you know, right now Lane Kiffin's claiming himself the portal king in reference to the Tiger King. Well, it certainly was Mel Tucker last year who was just – Cleaning house in the transfer portal and took a Michigan State team who didn't even make a bowl game the year before it to being the talk of the town, beating Michigan, uh being briefly in the top four of the college football playoff rankings, uh, until he, you know, Mel Tucker corralled that into a 10-year, 70 million dollar deal that was guaranteed. And he goes out and just gets waxed by Ohio State the next day. I bet that that agent just did a little dance and was like, y'all are so stupid, you're so stupid, and just was, you know, just having a blast about it. But now we're sitting here, $70 million has Michigan State at number 20 in the preseason rankings. Uh, you know, great state to start the season, but really kind of a bad finish for Michigan State. And as much as they were hyped to begin with, they ultimately ended in a place that maybe I wouldn't have been that shocked that they were to begin with. Uh, and, you know, I think Mel Tucker had a good season. We'll see what he can follow it up with this year. He doesn't have Kenneth Walker back. I think his quarterback, Peyton Thorne, whenever I watched him last year, I never really saw him look that good, including in that Michigan game when they won and a bunch of bad calls happened, a lot of turnovers. And what we're going to see with them, Joe, is where they rank in the Big Ten. And so I thought the biggest game early in the season that shows me, who's one of these teams that can pop up and compete with Ohio state. Who's going to be far and above everyone else, or maybe Michigan, who's going to be, you know, the next tier team is going to be this uh, October it's going to be September 24th matchup with Minnesota. They get Minnesota at home in Sparty land and they take on a team that's returning uh, eighth year, senior quarterback, Tanner Morgan, And, of course, uh, Ibrahim Mohammed, really fantastic running back for Minnesota that went out in the first game last year after he played excellent against Ohio State. And I think the way they do against Row the Boat and P.J. Fleck will tell us a lot about whether this Michigan State team can again be one of the better teams in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, that'll be a tough test for them. That will definitely give us a lot of answers to our questions. And I think that replacing uh, Kenneth Walker – is paramount. They'll probably have to kind of do it by committee um to a large extent because you think about in the early season last year, he was kind of like one of those you know September Heisman candidates, even, not e- even into the month of October before that Ohio State game that you referenced when CJ Stroud and Ohio State just went off against uh, Michigan State and that defense wasn't it, was, it
0: was like forty nine to nothing at halftime.
1: Yes, that, that sounds right, and they just kind of took the the foot off the accelerator for Ohio State then.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Michigan State, uh, like I said, good story last year. Um, I think that they you know, they got absolutely worked by that agent of Mel Tucker there. I mean, that dude should, like, be the highest paid agent in the world based on the way that he just raked Michigan State to the coals right there based off of one game. He essentially got Mel Tucker $70 million guaranteed because of them beating Michigan
1: yeah yeah absolutely. Uh, definitely had some amazing leverage he pulled out of his hat there with that negotiation. But yeah, I think that with Michigan State, I would appraise them quite simply that they're fine as a program, but like they kind of feel in that eight and four nine and three range is kind of a maximum for me.
0: That's kind of what I think too, Joe. I mean, I think if they were to win this game against Minnesota, maybe you see them in that nine and three, maybe ten and two. But I look for that game to kind of decide who's going to be the third or maybe fourth best team in the Big Ten after the likes of Ohio State and then maybe Michigan and Penn State. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. All right, Joe, when we come back, we're going to run through and do the number 19 uh, teams and then all the way up to maybe 15 or 14 when we come back next week. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for checking out our show Uh, You can listen to all of our episodes on Spotify. You can also uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and see us in live and living color for our episodes of the last few months. Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan.
1: And I'm Jeff.